2: 12-pack radio. Get excited, y'all.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, the most interesting podcast in the world covering Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 basketball news. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio. Thank you for joining us. A lot to talk about. Happy Beta Rank Day. Happy Beta Rank Day. We have the Beta Rank Advanced College Football Statistical Model out, uh, our preseason projections, and by ours, I mean uh, Rob's. (laughs) So very excited to go through all of those. Uh, A lot of news. We have some more NCAA news to cover, some Pac-12 network news to cover, and In order to do that, I am joined by Mr. Rob Bauer. What's going on, Rob?
0: Oh, I am so excited to be here. We have, uh, this is one of my favorite times of the year when when new numbers come out and uh, everyone can call me an idiot because uh, I say your team will not make a poll.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think for most Pac-12 basketball fans, it is already football season. So very excited to get that kicked <laughs> off today. And I am also joined
2: by Mr. Rick DeNice. What's going on, Rick? Hey, guys. Uh, good evening. Glad to be back on. Lots to talk about um, and, and catch up on.
1: It's a menage a trois again uh, with the podcast. Very excited about that. And, uh, and by the way, I should mention, we are now part of the Overtime uh, Podcast Network. So uh, we got our lanyards. We have our half plate of finger food. We're looking at people in the forehead rather than like in their eye like a psychopath. And we're ready to network the crap out of this. Uh, so very excited <laughs> to join the uh, the podcast network. So uh, what does that mean? So we we still have all of our podcast partners from uh, the Dog Pod and Freeball Podcast and Quack 12 Podcast. And very excited to continue working with them. The only real difference is that we'll get a couple sponsorships. So very excited about that. Uh, so stay tuned, and uh, you, you'll get to listen to us just just terribly just destroy ad reads. It's going to be real fun. I'm very excited about <laughs> botching all of them and getting the websites wrong and so. Um, let's get into it. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, one more thing. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on Google Play, TuneIn Radio, uh, Pac-12. Basically, just look up Pac-12 or 12-Pack Radio. We're there, Apple Podcasts, you name it, we're on there. And then you can follow us on Twitter, at 12-Pack Radio, at 12-P-A-C Radio. And to start this off right, we're going to go to Rob. And, Rob, you should probably give all of our new listeners a quick you know, thirty-second explanation of what Beta Rank is as we move into this segment.
0: So, Beta Rank is an advanced college football a statistical model that I run. I purchase data from uh, Sports, Source, Sports Source Analytics, the same folks that provide data to the College Football Playoff Committee. I get drive-level data on every college football game, and then I run that through a multi-level Bayesian hierarchical model um, to output. A lot of different ways to cut college football data and to rank college football teams differently. Um, But also, I create a preseason model, and that's what today is about. So today is about the preseason model where I try to project how teams will look next year in beta rank based on returning production based on how good you were last year and based on your recruiting rankings. And I'm actually pretty good at it. I got 57% of teams within plus or minus five of where they ended up in beta rank, um, off last year, as well as picking all five major conference winners. So, um, pretty good year last year for preseason beta rank. I'm excited for this year. I mean, there were some ones that were like in there, of course, hiding or some ones that I was way off on USC, for example. Um, We'll talk about those too. You got to hold yourself accountable.
1: <laughs> you know, Bader ain't can't uh you know can't control for JT Daniels just throwing bombs fifty yards into the air and praying that somebody catches it. So
0: you know, and, uh, to if your progress to and getting hurt again. I mean, I can't I can't do it all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, no, I'm I'm really excited to go through this. The one thing that we should mention is that so today we're just going to talk advanced uh, metrics and and what they've projected the Pac-12 to be as we move forward. We've talked about this on our podcast before. We release about a 130-page preview of the Pac-12 every year. We'll do that this year where we dive into not just what the advanced statistics say, but what we also see in terms of that returning... Um, that returning production. Well, who's actually coming back, and what does that mean? And what units do we think are going to be good? And what coaches do we think will you know be able to push their teams beyond what the metrics uh, just say and what the numbers say? So we'll we'll do all of that stuff. But today, for just the sake of time, we're just going to go through the numbers in general. And uh, Rick, where where do you want to start today? And let's not start with Arizona. Let's start start with a random team. Where where do you want to where do you want to start this party off?
2: You know, I think I'd like to start with Washington just because, uh, you know, Locker's no longer going to be up there. They've obviously had some transition on the defensive side of the ball, and I'm interested to see where they're going to come out at.
0: Yeah, Washington's a fascinating team. Um, so you're right. Washington uh, So Washington loses a lot. They come in uh, just overall on returning production um, at number 118 out of 130. They're a little better on Offense, oddly enough. So offense, they come in ranked at number 53 in returning production. But holy moly, they they, they are 130 out of 130 in returning production on defense. Um, wow. Luckily, they've recruited fairly well, so that certainly helps. Um, but Washington comes in at number 25 in, in preseason beta rank. Um, and that, uh, that, I think, is fair. I mean, the, there are other projections out there that actually have washington projected to be number one in the pack 12 i think that's a little much um i think that they're they're a talented team with a good coaching staff i just think they lose so much that um i think 20 I, I think beta ranks more right there i think they they have they have some things to figure out
1: that's crazy so they're 130 out of 130 in returning production
0: on defense like they lost a ton off of their defense
1: that's um I mean, this is where coaching comes into play, right? I mean, obviously we all yeah. know that Chris Peterson is an excellent coach. He's one of my favorite coaches in the country. I love the fact that he was able to take three-star talent at Boise state and just push them and push them and put together a team that was formidable, um, on a national stage, not just, uh, in the mountain West. And, yeah. uh, I I mean, obviously what he's been able to do with four and five star talent, it's kind of like that. Um, I'm trying to think of a a good coaching example, but that, well, I guess we could say like Clay Helton or um, Jim Mora, where they got the five star players, but weren't able to get them into uh, a position where they could succeed as a team. Uh, And it seems like Rick Chris Peterson has been able to mold some of these, not just like middle tier players, but the top tier too, and get them to a place where that basically that team is humming every year.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And guys, just a amendment to my previous uh call out. It was Jake Brownie, not Jake Locker. Sorry, I was traveling most of the day. So <laughs> for all you Washington fans that are gonna okay. listen to it, it'll there, it be automatic. Take. that's true that's true i was just firing that out there it was like right off the tip of my tongue it's amazing um well and and if you look at you know one you know you talk about how good of a coach chris peterson is and i think this year uh the amount of immense talent that they brought in um you know on the defensive side of the ball especially from that you know with the the four stars that they got um and i i think the linebacker core um is is going to be a big big position of need and i think that they're going to have a lot of success um, if Chris Peterson can get some of those guys integrated sooner rather than later I um, mean I'm, I'm excited to see what they do but I mean 130 out of 130 is uh is that's a tall order um and and um you know they they've got a lot to uh to work on and um you know right in front of them so I'm interested to see what happens
0: yeah they they project to be at 33 on defense next season and 15 on offense um that offense they do I mean that they lose the headliners in Gaskin and um Browning but um, they return they return a lot most of the offensive line um, their receivers haven't been great but you know they come back and um, they do have another year where Bush Hamdan can hopefully figure it out a little more as the offensive coordinator
1: so just taking a look we're gonna do the Pepsi challenge here SMP has them at 15 S P plus their preseason predictions so um, Baderick has them a little bit lower on the um, and I'm, I'm curious to see what exactly is boosting Washington up to 15 I think obviously, and Rob, maybe you can point to this. So we were talking about college basketball and about Ken Palm rankings and how, uh, and we're using Arizona as an example, like, um, Arizona's offense is consistently okay. But when you, and, and sometimes like in that upper quadrant, but when you compare it to the elite teams, that gap is so big. Like the, the elite yes. teams are running offenses at a much higher level than even the top 20. Is that the same thing in football? Or is it a little bit different on that kind of drop off?
0: No, that's absolutely true in football, too. And this is something I try to get across to people that the difference between teams in the range of, say, up to, you know, about 12, 11, 12 and a team in the range, you know, of, of 50 is often the same as the difference between that 11 and 12 team and the number one team. Um the, the, the very best offenses in college football and the very best defenses are often significantly better than even very good offenses and defenses. So um, Washington, I, I do think so. One of the things that just to call out a, a difference between the way Bill Connolly does it and the way I do it, I try not to use averages. Um, and I also he, he uses five years worth of prior averages. Um, prior performance in his S and P plus. Uh, I don't like to do that. Um, I think that that gets you into some stale numbers. Um, and even though you may have some decreasing, um, decreasing correlation between what was happening five years ago and what is happening now. Um, I like to keep it a little more fresh, even though it does lead to the model often, like maybe being a little off on something like USC or something like that. Um, I do like to keep it. Um, I do like to keep it so that the model is responding to much more recent data, um, and I, I find I don't have a lot of loss of predictive power by doing that.
1: Okay. All right. Hey, so Rick, if you yeah. were to, if you were to have, um, if you were to plan your daughter's wedding, future daughter, <laughs> and, and you were to pick one city in the PAC 12, where, where would you want that wedding to be planned?
2: Oh, I, I would say right outside the Bay area up in uh, Napa Sonoma.
1: Okay. Let's go. Uh, Palo Alto is more of the Sonoma area. Let's talk about Stanford <laughs> next here. <laughs>
0: So uh, Stanford's not like a, a very interesting team. And I should say also because I also have the I also got a, a, an early look at the schedule file from Sports Source Analytics, which it helps to ask to see if they have it. Um, Washington is projected to have 8.54 wins next season, which is still pretty good, um, and about five uh, 5.8 wins in conference. Stanford uh, Stanford is a team that uh, comes in looks to be number 44 next year in beta rank, which is lower, again, than uh, where S&P has them or FPI. Um, but Stanford loses um, quite a bit off of last season's uh, last season's team. So they, are, they come in at 103 in returning production, um, 111 on offense, losing everything they lost with Bryce Love and those receivers, um, number sixty-six on defense. I, I do like some of what they have coming back on defense. I, I, I'll probably talk about Adebo a million times before <laughs> season kicks off. Um, but with oh Costello's coming back, so they, they do have some. They do have something coming back on offense. But it's uh it's going to be tough for Stanford. They weren't great at times last year, and and they they do lose a lot off that team. What's the
1: season win total projection?
0: Season win total, and they have a brutal non-conference schedule they have brutal <laughs> brutal stanford <laughs> has ucf northwestern and notre dame and non-conference so stanford whatever i know i stanford is projected at six wins
1: oh right
0: ouch yeah um just because well, of how I- tough the schedule is well, and
2: you can you can kind of see where we get get there from when you look at just how tough I think the Pac-12 North is going to be next year with the potential emergence of Oregon being you know the number one up there and then Washington right behind them. Um, and right there, I mean, you could look at that those two games and see uh, two losses, um, you know, from from those teams. So I I you know looking at what St- Stanford has coming back, you you kind of and and you see the twenty nineteen recruiting classes ranked number. 21, you know, I think they fill some holes, but I don't think they fill some holes immediately. And it could be one of the rougher years, um, at least from, from the outside looking in, um, that, that they've had to contend with in, a, in quite a while.
1: I know you say that, but like how many times have we said that about Stanford, right? Like it's, wow, well, you know, this might be the year where they drop off, and they've had a couple of drop off years, but I just can't see a scenario. And this is why the numbers are so, um, helpful because we're going to take these numbers. And then as we've done in this podcast over the last year is kind of move over to what our eyes are seeing and what we know in the past in terms of coaching and in terms of player development and all that stuff. I can't see a scenario, Rob, where Stanford wins six games, uh, or I'm sorry, wins less than six games. Um, even if there's, their schedule is solved, they're always going to have a fairly decent defense outside of that anomaly two years ago where they, they really did have a bad defense. You went, oh my gosh, this team isn't good on defense. Um, they shored that up more this year. And I liked some of those players like Fox that came in and was really able to bolster uh, that front Seven. What do you think?
0: I mean, I, I think. I mean, the the number stood out to me because it's unusually low. I think for Stanford. Um, but the tough thing is for Stanford is is that there's no there's no gimmies in non-conference, and that's that's and one of the biggest things as I go through and do this. If you play an FCS team, as I'm doing your season win totals, you you get a one. Like I, I'm assuming you win that game. I mean, I'm sorry, Washington State. You don't always win those games, but um, <laughs> the you know if you're Stanford. Like you're, you don't have anything anywhere near that. Northwestern, that's a toss-up. Notre Dame, Notre Dame's could be a big favorite. UCF next season, that's a, that's a toss-up game. Yeah, um, for Stanford, and then you have to go in and play Washington, Oregon, Washington State, um, and some of those games uh, I'd have to look off the top of my head, but you know, not all of those are going to be played in Palo Alto. You still have to play USC every season. Um, you have to play UCLA. Uh, it's not there's the only guaranteed win on Stanford. I mean, maybe, you know, games that there's are you know, is, is Oregon State. You know, they're not an overwhelming favorite against even a team like Arizona next season. Um, not that Arizona projects to be that great. But, um, you know, Stanford, with all of their wide receiver losses, Bryce Love gone, you know, not returning a ton on defense. It's it's a it's a tough road to hoe for them.
2: And and Rob, that kind of filters in right into the theme that I brought up last year, which was, uh, you know, is KJ Costello going to step up and be the quarterback that Stanford needs him to be? And I think that his wide receivers helped him immensely last year um, and and really came on. But, uh, you know, with with all the losses that they have around him, I mean, he's the guy uh, that they yeah. need to produce. And I, I don't know if you're a Stanford fan, if you tr- trust him to produce that much.
1: I don't know, guys. I'm going to be on the you know, Stanford upper-class purgatory train all year next year. Always,
0: always, always do you take that schedule? I mean, schedule is King. I mean, everyone forgets about, I mean, it's not just schedule, but it is a combination of how good you are and who you play. And, um, you know, this year we projected you, I do project Utah to be pretty good. Washington and Stanford roll off their schedule. So Utah's schedule lightens up considerably and I've got them, you know, moved up accordingly in their projected wins. Stanford, this this non-con is, is I mean UCLA also has a very tough non-conference but if you have a really tough non-conference most power I mean most Power Five teams look to go through non-conference and notch up at least two wins Stanford I, they project to have a I mean less than one and a half wins in their non-conference that's tough
1: okay all right all right uh, Rick you're writing a country music song about your dog what Pac-12 city is it based out of
2: Utah. Let's go with Utah, since we kind of already brought them up. I left and, my we, and we, and, and we love Utah we listeners so much. <laughs> I
1: left my dog in Salt Lake City. That does not sound like a country song. That sounds like an emo, <laughs> you know, like brooding pianist song. Whatever.
0: <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation
1: with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment.
0: That is a harsh lesson in business.
2: Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
1: Uh, All right. All right. uh, uh, Rob, what do we got here for
0: Utah? So Rank likes the Utes. Um, They come in at 21 um, and they are projected at uh, just over nine wins overall. And um, 6.36, so they're they're projected right now as the favorite in the Pac-12 South uh, ahead of USC and ASU. Um, this Utah team looks to be pretty good. They have uh, we we talked about this last year that you know ne- you know this year was going to be the year. So they're number 21 in returning production. They're number four in returning production on offense, and returning production is more correlated. With offense than it is with defense. So, if you got a lot of guys coming back on offense, it's more important that they know the scheme than if they're you know high recruiting rankings. So, for the Utes, this is good. Um, they've recruited pretty well. Um, you know, a little bit ahead of you know some of the bottom tier teams in the conference, like the Oregon States and Arizona's that haven't recruited as well lately. Uh, this is this is a good. Oh, and they they do where, where if you do have questions, I think on this team it is that they do rank number 80 in returning production on defense. Um, I guess I, I have enough faith in what Morgan Scaly is doing on defense there that I I, I think they can plug and play for the most part. And they'll, the, Utah will run out of good defense again next season.
1: I'm worried about their quarterback. I think quarterback play has always been an issue. I don't trust Huntley. Um, I know that he got hurt. I understand Utah fans, and I understand that uh, Utah was quite good on the defensive side, but the – uh, I, I still think Utah is going to be one of the top contenders in the conference. I would just like to have seen more from Huntley last year on that front to really be like all in on Utah. But even then, I'm I'm pretty optimistic. I'm sorry, Rick, what were you going to say?
2: No, I was just going to say they kind of got the Arizona treatment this year as well because they miss, uh, I believe, Oregon and Stanford, don't they?
0: I think it's Washington. Is it Washington and
2: Stanford? No, they've got Washington. Uh, oh, on then the it second. is Oregon and Stanford. Yeah, really so. Overall. So that that's that's quite helpful to have uh, basically two out of the top three out of the north um, that you don't play. And so, you know, if there's some deficiencies and some holes, it looks like, you know, their their early season slate of games against, uh, you know, BYU and Idaho State um, are probably going to be, you know, easier games. They play Washington State um, the end of September. Um, but then you kind of look down that schedule. And, and I think it sets up fairly nicely for them, um, you know, to a, uh, you know, to, to kind of you know have a great season and and even if they have some struggles at quarterback early um i think that that uh, Cunningham's going to be able to uh, or Williams sorry um is Winningham. going to Windingham. Sorry. Thanks, guys. Um, is going to be <laughs> is going to be one to uh to, to make some adjustments and uh yeah, they could have a, a great breakout season this year.
1: Yeah, Randall Cunningham's really gonna tear it up there in Salt Lake City. <laughs>
0: but, well, <laughs> I, I, I like their I like their OC hire too. Andy Ludwig, uh he, he led a fun Vanderbilt offense last season. He's been at Utah before. Uh I think he's a bright offensive guy, and you know, hopefully he can he can uh help the offense produce with all they have coming back.
1: And S P had The youth's at 17, so real close in terms of numbers, again, with the differences being smaller as you kind of group them together and all that stuff. So uh, definitely someone to take a look uh, out for. Uh, Rick, if you were to retire right now, what Pac-12 city would it be? Uh, Let's go with L.A.
2: Either one of those
1: You would retire in Los Angeles? You, narcissist. (laughs)
2: Listen, listen, here's the thing. Let me explain my reasoning, guys. (laughs) I would retire in San Diego, L.A.'s, as close to San Diego as I can get without going to ASU, um, up in Phoenix. So give me a break.
1: That's like, say, that's like saying, uh, I really love New York. Um and, and I would I would retire in Newark though just because it was like the closest city
2: that it was, like oh, a metro I mean, mean. Like... Los
0: Angeles is far cooler than Newark. I lived in New York for quite a while and I would occasionally fly Listen, out of the
2: Newark. You know, the other thing is is that you know, <laughs> here Brian is putting me on the spot and I could have said Pullman, Washington, or I could have said Eugene, Oregon, but you know, I said LA. I felt like LA's a, a pretty fair uh, you know, assessment of where somebody might live down the road. I hope or, you know. I like Los Angeles, but
1: eh. with transients urinating all over the Walk of Fame, and it's just <laughs> that place <is> the worst. <laughs> uh, you know, uh,
2: you could say San Francisco, and you'd probably get the same. But thing, that's yeah, so.
1: that, or Portland to be to be yeah. honest right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. Let's. Um, I'll, I'll at least give you Westwood here and uh, put you in a good part <laughs> of Los Angeles. So let's talk about UCLA.
0: Oh, all right. So UCLA comes in at number fifty-seven. Uh, and BetaRank, uh, which uh, uh, BetaRank and, and S&P Plus are usually not terribly far off. There's, there's some occasional disagreements of, of more than plus or minus five. Um, holy moly, ESPN's Football Power Index has UCLA projected at number 21 for next season. <laughs> uh, I don't buy that for a second. UCLA projects at 5.19 wins. They have Oklahoma. They have San Diego State, and they have at Cincinnati next season.
1: Oh my gosh, that Cincinnati so was Cincinnati good this year.
0: Is projected to be very good next season. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, and they're projected at number four in the Pac-12 South with uh, four conference wins. Um, the UCLA team, um, they they do return a lot. Um, they're at number thirty-four in overall returning production. Um, they're at number 75 on offense, however, so a little less on offense and they were thin on offense last season, uh, to begin with. But they, that defense, that awful defense, uh, they come in at number 13 in returning production on that awful defense. So, uh, they're hoping to make some jumps. They've had a bunch of guys that were really highly regarded transfer out, uh, and they just signed a truly awful recruiting class <laughs> so, by UCLA standards. By UCLA standards, by Arizona or uh, Oregon State standards, it'd be fine.
1: I was reading a SB Nation piece, and I'm uncertain who wrote it. I think it was Jason Kirk. and It was talking about the struggles that UCLA's had with recruiting, one of them being – and this just gives me – right, I'm 35, so – on the older scale but I'm not like, you know, a baby boomer. And it just made me so sad for the future of uh, the world when there was these parents that said, "Yeah, you know, um Chip Kelly would like call our our son and and our son's like, I, what do I even do with this phone call? I didn't even I didn't even want to take this." I'm like, "You don't want to talk to Chip Kelly, you you freaking <laughs> petulant child. Pick up the damn phone and talk to somebody that like built the offensive structure that is now college football like you do terrible terrible person (laughs) like oh i'd rather have a snapchat conversation with him like this is the worst but uh but for whatever reason he, he didn't pull through and close that class i'm hoping that not taking phone calls with one of them rick
2: no. Well, and, and it's funny too, that you brought that up because I was uh, reading an article on Bruins nation today. Um, and basically they just ripped that recruiting class apart. Um, you know, and, and one out of the 20 guys they actually signed are blue chip recruits, which is basically unheard of. Um, and it's almost going back to, uh, um, what is his name? Carl Dur- Durrell way back in the day. What yeah. was that in the, yeah. yeah. Carl and, and, oh, Lord. oh man. <laughs> so, so anyways, I, it's, it's going to be a fascinating, uh, 2019 and 2020 for, uh, Kelly. I, I, I just don't know where they go because you got, you know, you talk about getting chips guys that fit that style of offense. Um, I, I don't know if they got nearly enough talent to even plug and play this year. Um, and if you look at the beta rank, and some of the other preseason picks and uh, in terms of what their overall schedule will be and where they will will match up in the Pac-12, you know, I think it's going to be a really, really tough year in Westwood. Um, so it'll it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out.
1: Rob, if Chip Kelly ends up winning five games this year and how many did you win last year? Somewhere around five, I'm assuming.
0: Um, I think you won four games. It seemed like more because they sort of ran off. I mean, they went 0-3 in, in non-con. <laughs> <And> then, yeah. <sighs>
1: Like, what, what is the pressure in year three? Like, it's got to be oh, pretty intense, Astronomical.
0: Right? Uh, so here's, I think, Chip Kelly, and with, uh, with his erstwhile adopted son, Joshua Kelly, running the football, um, I think that he, he managed to put together a running game with a walk-on transfer from UC Davis and boss Tagaloa at center. So kudos <laughs> to you. Like, that's unexpected. <laughs> and I salute you for your schematic genius. <laughs> However, they were not great throwing the football last year. It showed on offense. They kind of struggled. Um, Wilton is, Spate is gone. The Dorian Thompson Robinson experience is on. Um, they didn't really sign a, a, a solid quarterback in this class. So it, it really is going to be Dorian Thompson Robinson or bust. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And, and I think the pressure, I think you're right that, if Chip Kelly is is you know isn't able to produce you know some some interesting offensive fireworks or produce more balanced offense, and if his buddy that he hired um, that hadn't coached defense, SNRO and what what was it, twelve years, fourteen years, he hadn't coordinated a defense, um, doesn't turn this defense around with all of that returning production, even if they still have some holes, it, it could get tough. Um, yeah. There. UCLA fans, I think they want to be patient with Kelly. Uh, I think that, you know, they, they've invested a lot of money in this staff. But I do think that uh, it gets harder to say, wait for the future when that future is we signed. We, UCLA, signed one four-star recruit. So,
2: if. It's you know you just brought up a great point that that UCLA fans uh, you know should want to be patient but it's funny because if you start reading through um, a lot of their their blogs I mean there are a lot of UCLA fans that are already over the Chip Kelly experiment. And it's interesting too, to compare, um, there's a, you know, some discussion going back and forth between UCLA and where, you know, they stand just from a facility standpoint compared to, you know, an Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, Oklahoma, and, and from a brand standpoint. Um, and, uh, one gentleman basically said, you can't turn a Pinto into a Lamborghini. And so, you know, I think that there, you look at the the situation that Chip, Chip Kelly kind of inherited, um, you know, obviously, you know it was a it was a tall hill to climb um you know headed in but you know ucla with under guerrero has you know some major major issues that extend um you know above just you know what's going on in the field and who you're recruiting um you know they've got a brand issue problem and you know they've got a facilities issue problem as well and and um you know i i don't know if that's alleviated overnight um and it could be a a, you know another rough stretch for ucla football here moving forward
1: All good points, Rick. I would just add that the same people that are already giving up on Chip Chip Kelly are the same millennials that wouldn't take a cell phone call from Chip (laughs) Kelly.
0: Maybe Chip Kelly is not that interesting to talk to on the phone. I mean, the guy hates press conferences. Uh, True. uh, That's a good counterpoint.
1: Good. (laughs) Um, All right, Rick, if you were going to have a hallucinogenic experience, what Pac-12 city would you have it in?
2: Wow. I guess Berkeley, right? (laughs) <laughs> Again, Nailed it. That is good did, did I get one answer one correct answer tonight so far that's except awesome. for
1: your retirement in LA that's
2: good one. we would have also
0: accepted Boulder <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, I mean I, I I was honestly gonna say Corvallis just because I don't know what else you would do up there but um you know <laughs>
1: No, I got you. Um, one more thing to mention about UCLA before we get to Cal is uh and p plus had UCLA at 63, which is quite close to beta ranks 57. So I wanted to make that note. Uh, Rob, where do we have Cal? Uh,
0: the California golden bears come in at number 47 uh, in beta rank for this season. They, uh, they come in looking at uh, six, well, six and a quarter wins and expected wins. Um, and they project at number four in the Pac-12 North, but uh, with uh, four, just over four wins, 4.01 wins. Um, Cal uh, is definitely a team that re- like took some strides forward last season um, on defense, less so on offense. So they are number 52 overall in uh, returning production. They're number 104 on offense in returning <laughs> production. So mercifully, they don't bring back a lot. Of that, but they're number 21 on returning defense, and that defense was nasty. Yeah. Um, What's I think it's worth uh, doing real quick with Cal. So, that defense next season, uh, they project at uh, number 14 overall coming into next season. And let me do a real quick check on. Uh, So, they're Congratulations, Cal. you projected number 69 on offense, which is actually a huge jump. (laughs) Huge jump from how bad they were last season, which was uh, basically unwatchable.
1: Well, Ross Bowers is going to be back. That's why.
0: Ross Bowers. Like, there's no Ross Bowers transfer rumors. I haven't heard of him entering the transfer portal. No. (laughs) But you do have Devin Monster. Well,
1: that's interesting. So uh, it's interesting. This is probably the largest disparity so far outside of Stanford. There's a 12 space disparity between S&P and Beta Rank. Here it's 17. So Cal is ranked 60th in s p which is surprising for me. I would assume they would have weighted the defense a little higher than offense, but um, maybe not.
2: I don't, guys. One one thing to kick too is uh, I didn't know that they had signed Devin Monster. He popped up again.
0: Yeah, whatever yeah. The, who, who knew strong Devin Monster? He's got a who, cannon of an arm. Who knew? Does I really I, know? I didn't know. Yeah, oh, well, I mean, so I, I, we can argue about whether Devin Watson always puts the ball in the right place, but he's got a strong arm. Okay. All right. All
2: right. Well, we'll, well you got Ross Bauer starting for you, so I'll give him a fighting chance.
1: <laughs> uh, let, hey, okay, so let's move on because that's about all I can do on Cal. Um, <laughs> so, Rick DeNice of the remaining Pac-12 schools, where would you uh, – uh, what city has the best lineup of
2: food? Oh, Wow. You know what? I was just down there, and you guys might hate on me for this again, but I'm going to go with it. I, I'm i going to say let's talk about Arizona State and Phoenix because I was down in Scottsdale and had uh, amazing food for the last five days. And everywhere you go, um, you can get awesome Italian, American food, uh, Mexican food. It doesn't matter. Everything's good down there. So let's go with ASU.
1: Okay, that's fair, and I would assume that they still have a lot of the – um, uh, like Tucson has amazing Mexican food. I would assume that that makes its way up to Phoenix. It's only an hour away, right?
2: Yeah. I, I, yeah. But I think you also have a lot of transplants that move to Phoenix too. And Sorry. all the transplants have, have brought great food from all over the country, which, which turns out to be amazing.
1: Sorry to hear that. The only, the only good answer is Mexican food. That's that is the best. <laughs> that's that's the
0: best and, and actually, if you are in Phoenix, go to the Barrio Cafe. <laughs> yes, that is a good spot. Even the Koreans
1: are making tacos now, Rick. I mean, that's, how good, uh, that's how good Mexican <laughs> food is. <laughs> See,
0: was, have, you, have either of you had Korean fried chicken? Oh, it's so good. No, oh. no. Oh. Okay. What? No, I haven't. Oh, it. I first had Korean fried chicken at this place that was like so secret in New York that it didn't even have a sign. And you like went up this like this kind of um, poorly labeled to the second story non non-advertising <laughs> Korean fried chicken restaurant that a friend of mine that worked at Amex with me knew about. And it was, it's like a, it was amazing. It was life changing. It's, it's like a fried chicken speakeasy then. Yes, amazing. but it's better. It was even better. And I will say this, and this is almost sacrilege. It was better than Popeye's.
1: Oh, oh. Well, what do they do? What do they, what makes it different?
0: I don't even know. I don't, I <laughs> It could just be that it smells like kimchi a little bit. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well,
1: I, 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 mean, I, I think that's a bug, not a feature, but that's just like something. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Let's talk ASU here. Let's talk ASU.
0: Um, so ASU comes in at number 49, uh, which is actually interesting because it's the, both BetaRank and S&P Plus have them in the exact same spot. It's worth noting that ESPN's FPI this is one where they are way off from where S&P and Beta Rank are. They have them at 34 um, coming into next season, which I, I think is high. Um, ASU projects with uh, 6.74 wins, uh, so bowl eligible again in Herm's second year. And they project at number three in the South, uh, roughly about four and a half wins in conference. This ASU team, they lose uh, they lose Mandy Wilkins, they lose uh, Nikhil Harry. Uh, but they uh they come at, at number forty five overall in returning production. Most of that's on defense. Um they rank number fifteen in returning production on defense. So that Danny Gonzalez defense needs to make some strides in the second season because they weren't great last season. They're at number one oh three in returning production on offense. So as much as you like some of the pieces they have, uh I think Brandon Ayuk is a great example. Um and I'm totally spacing their running back's name. If you know, Benjamin, it, yes. Eno Benjamin who had a great yeah. year, all American year. Uh, yeah. Some, like, uh, I, I, I like some of the pieces they have coming back on offense, but they lose just a ton. Uh, also on the offensive line. So it'll be interesting to see how this, this ASU offense shakes out next season with the potential people are already talking about. I like chase Lucas, but they're already talking about Jaden Daniels, that uh, four-star dual threat. They, they signed is maybe starting next season.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. That'd be fun to watch. Uh, yeah. I'm really curious about that quarterback position. Uh, I mean, it's the most important sport, most important position in sports. Um, and they're really going to oh. have to, what, what's up?
2: don't they have like four quarterbacks that they recruited to fill in behind? So they're going to have a, like a quarterback
0: battle, like six quarterbacks, aren't they? They are. And they, they've already started spring practice. Um, yeah. So ASU got the jump on me even on uh, I think <laughs> 2019. Congratulations. Arizona state. That,
2: that was by design. I'm sure. Yeah. And they, uh,
0: they have, um, their entire first football press conference from what everyone was saying was just, uh, the offensive coordinator being asked about who's going to be the quarterback. Um, so they are trying to rep all four of those guys. Uh, I would probably handicap it with, uh, I mean, I would give Chase Lucas, you know, the, 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 the early nod. Um, but they're there. They, they did sign. They did sign another four-star quarterback. I believe in this class too, who's more of a pocket passer. It's uh, Joey Yellen.
2: Yes. Well, Viejo.
1: Yep. Yeah. What's up? Diablos right on. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. I actually I saw him. He's pretty good. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: so, so quick question for you, Rick. So I was, um, as I was watching, I watched a lot of ASU football last year and I found Herm Edwards to be so endearing. Like I, I could not, not like him. After the second game, I'm like, this guy. I would, I want to give this man a hug. <laughs> like, he just seems so nice. He seems like that <laughs> uncle that would, you know, during Christmas, he would be the one, the one uncle that you know spends a hundred dollars on your gift when you're, you know, like a five year old kid. You're like, oh my gosh, the Ninja Turtles like hockey set that I've always wanted. <laughs> like, that just, I'm such a big fan of his right now. What do you think? What do you think about Herm Edwards?
2: Yeah, I, I really like Herm, and you know, we were sitting here, I think, the beginning of last season when we were doing our previews, trying to figure out. You know, what's what that organization would look like because they were training it more like, um, you know, I, I, guess, a you know, a high class organization, not a, you know, collegiate football program, but you know, I, I, to me, the biggest thing that comes across is he's genuine. Um, and, and I think that he, he genuinely cares about these kids and developing his kids. Um, and I think he's got a good coaching staff around him. I mean, I, I, he's put the right people in place. Um, and, and, um, it kills me every time I see an Arizona alumni on an ASU sideline. I mean, it, it, it hurts my soul because I know Antonio Pierce is a great football coach and he's really developed nicely as a recruiter as well. And I, I think that Herm Edwards has just put a lot of pieces in place to keep that as a stable, steady, um, you know, program for years, for, for years to come. And I know we only, we have a small sample size, but you can see the, the pillars kind of be put in place by him. Um, and I, I think ASU should be excited. I know, I don't know if they'll win, you know, national championships, Pac twelve championships. I you know, I think that kind of remains to be seen. But, you know, you want to look at your program and kind of be proud of, you know, the direction that it's going. And I if, if I'm an ASU fan, I think you're excited about um, you know what Herm Edwards brings to the table in terms of, you know, national recognition from a good standpoint and and not having to worry about um, you know, kids doing stuff that that um, you know would, would embarrass your program. So I'm I, I think it was a good hire and we'll see how it works out. Him.
1: Is there any other coach in the Pac-12, Rob, that you would want to have dinner with? Like, like if you showed up and they said, "Hey, brian um, or "Hey, Rob." So uh you know we're all here, but we have a special. Like somebody's going to join us for dinner today, and it's Herm Edwards. Is there anybody in the Pac-12 that you would replace him with?
0: I'm Mike Leach. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, they have. yeah. That's true. That's very true. I mean, yeah. I mean, Mike Leach. He played. I mean, he he finished high school in Cody, Wyoming. I'm from Wyoming. Like, we could we could shoot the breeze.
1: At the end of the day, you know, like nobody's gonna top Tom Brady. You know, same thing with Mike Leach at a conversation, <laughs> like, you know, let's uh, the <laughs> bars the bar's way too high on that front.
0: I've heard people take Mike Leach's phone calls.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I want to see one of those stories on that. That'd be great. Like, what is he or what does he text over or like what does he Snapchat to students like, or like high school kids? I just uh, it's just the the war plans for Waterloo. He's just like, hey, yeah, you gotta come over. They like got
0: these uh, sweet infantry squares. That's <laughs> so good.
1: Uh, all right, Rick, uh, you have one hundred thousand dollars that you have to blow in one day of the remaining Pac-12 schools. What city would you blow it in?
2: Well let's go with Washington State, because everybody wants to blow a hundred grand up in Pullman, right? <laughs> you buy Pullman for hundred thousand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy my own bar up there. It would be called Rick Bar. And we would have Mike Bleach uh hanging above a fireplace in a gold frame and with just a elegant look on his face. It for was
0: amazing. A,
1: for a moment, I thought you were going to say an effigy. <laughs> like, how dare you? <laughs> I, can't, I can't do
0: that. Oh, man. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, so Washington State comes in at number 42, which is, I think, pretty fair for where they, where they finished out last season and what they're bringing back. They do project at uh, 7.2 wins overall, which is pretty good in the Pac-12. Um, and they project at uh, number just behind Stanford uh, at number four in the Pac-12 North with 4.6 wins. Um, mm-hmm. This Washington State team, uh, they return uh, they don't return a ton, unfortunately, for them. So they rank number 81 overall in returning production, number 85 on offense. Of course, losing Gardner Minshew is a big part of that. They also lose their running back um, and one of their offensive linemen. Uh, they're number 62 on returning defense. So this, this Washington state team definitely has a lot to replace off of last season's really fantastic team. But I always, I worry about teams that have, and beta rank does take this into account in the projections, teams that have big offensive defensive splits the season before. And this Washington state team had a fantastic offense last season and a just barely good enough defense. Um, and the, it's, that's tough. Like last season's team was mostly built on that offense. It's tough to be that good two seasons in a row.
1: Yeah, it was so fun watching Gardner Mitchell sling the ball around. And we've talked at, about it ad nauseum on this podcast. So, Rick, I want to kind of get your feel on Washington State. Uh, what, what scares you moving into this year or what do you think their vulnerabilities are?
2: Well, I I think, uh, you know, another big question, Mark, and maybe it's not a big question, Mark, uh, as you just alluded to, was you know, Gardner Minshew obviously leaving um, and then uh, Peyton, uh, I can't even say his name, uh, Puller. Puller. Yeah, there we go. Um, I, I, you know, he's out as well, and I think you know you look at the the leadership aspect of what they had last year. Um, that completely goes away. Um, and who's really going to fill that role? And and how I guess how efficient is Mike Leach going to be at finding that next guy up, um, especially with you know a couple transfers coming in to figure out um, you know who's going to to lead them from that quarterback spot. So I think it'll be interesting. I think that um, you know if you look at their non-con, I mean it's it's pretty it's pretty easy they've got houston i think is the one thing that stands out and i think houston obviously has gone through a big transition this year um so i you know i, I think that their schedule is favorable but um again i think that that the big the big push for Mike Leach will be to find that leadership. The other thing too, with Washington state and, and, you know, it is tough to recruit up into Pullman, but you know, you basically year over year have to backfill a lot of your, your key positions, um, you know, with two with sometimes two, but, but mostly three-star guys, um, cause you're not going to get the four and five-star guys that, you know, usually are, are, are more adept at, at uh, developing immediately, um, and being ready to play. So, um, you know, again, he's going to move pieces around, but you know what, there's no better in college football at at taking on jobs like that year after year after after year um, like Mike Leach is. And I think he's going to be I think they're you know, they're going to be in the hunt. They're going to surprise some people. um, And it may be a tougher year than last. But I think they're 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 in a good uh, position. Anytime you got Mike Leach at the helm,
1: Rob, outside of Washington State, what would be the best fit for Mike Leach uh, culturally, spiritually (laughs) and strategically if he were to leave Wazoo in the Pac-12? Uh, just in general, nationally.
0: Ooh, I mean, like the uh, he almost has to be somewhere sort of like out of the way where they're willing to accept <laughs> his eccentricities in in and in return get football success, right? I mean, <laughs> you you accept some of the weird. Um, sometimes he's going to tweet out conspiracy theories. Um, I mean, if it was in a in a major conference, you know, I think Mike Leach could work at Arkansas. I mean, Arkansas fans are pretty crazy. <laughs> um, so,
1: I would almost rule out the entire South because at some point he's going to tweet that the the North was right and they won the war like fair and square, <laughs> and I don't think that goes super well down there in Fayetteville.
0: <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, I mean, I, I mean, it'd be interesting if you tried to match him up. Could you imagine him anywhere in the Big Ten? I, I struggle with that. What, um, a, what about like West Virginia?
1: Oh, that I would be good. It was a Northern that. State by the way, Northern State. Um, so I think That's they would true. be
0: fine. They left us they left Virginia because they they were tired of all those slaveholders down in the down on the plains. Yep. Um you know where you know where he'd be fun though in the in the SEC is Kentucky, although they they, they kind of struck out with Hal mummy in the air raid. I, I let's put Mike Leach at Rutgers in the Big 10, right? <laughs> like he's got the New York media market right there. People would eat it up. Oh, and I've been to a game at Rutgers and it is basically a bunch of like chubby New Jerseyans talking like it, it's the Sopranos. So it'd be kind of fun. <laughs>
1: nice. <laughs> and they have a hot
0: tub at games. Oh, that so... was the best. That was the best. Uh,
1: I'm glad we da- went down that road. Glad we went down that road. Uh, all right, let's go. Uh, Rick, if you were thrown in jail, um, what jail would you least likely want to be in for a prolonged period of time in the Pac-12?
2: Uh, let's go Tucson, Arizona.
1: Mm, there you go. There you go. Okay. Okay. Close to the border. A little, a little yeah. rough and rowdy down there. Okay. Let's yeah. talk Arizona. Little
0: here. Flare. So Arizona comes in at number 63, uh, in beta rank. So that is, uh, other than Oregon state, they are projecting it at last in the PAC 12. So at number 11, uh, they project it just under bull eligibility, 5.75 wins overall. And they project it number four in the PAC 12 South, um, at 3.45 wins. Uh, This Arizona team comes in, they have uh, a lot of losses on offense. Um, So they have, uh, they come in at 35 in returning production, but only 76 uh, in returning production on offense. They lose their top three wide receivers. They do lose Leith Freak. You bring back Khalil Tate, J.J. Taylor, um, and some interesting pieces, but uh, a lot to figure out in the passing game. What Arizona does return uh, is they're number 12 in returning production on defense. So, and I've been saying this for years, so I mean, ignore me because I, I would have fired him a long time ago, but it's finally a prove it year from Royal Sal Yates. <laughs> this, this Arizona defense actually projects, uh, and this sounds like a, a, a crazy thing to be excited about, but if you're an Arizona fan, what the heck? Um, Arizona projects to make a big jump off of last season where they finished at number 90 on defense. They project to jump all the way up to number 65 on defense next season. Um, that is not a good defense, but that would be a great defense considering where Arizona has been for the last five years.
1: Yeah, you say it's a prove it year for Marcel Yates, but I think it's a prove it year in the <laughs> sense of like when my children are not going into their room for rest time, and I'm like, you know, one, two, three, three and a half, three and four, four. I four like, you know, that that seems like right about where Yates is. But yeah, you know, like uh, I'm I'm one for he, fourth chances. I'm not going to lie, I put myself on record there. So.
0: <laughs> he doesn't have to play his nemesis, Mike Leach, this season, who owns Marcel Yates's soul. <laughs> um, has put seventy points on him twice.
1: <laughs> That's so crazy. Uh, I don't know, Rick. What do you think about? So, uh, Rob, did you say that we were sixty fourth?
0: Uh, we came in right at number sixty three. Sixty three. Okay.
2: What do you think, Rick? Uh, I'm going to take the theme that Rob had earlier, which was, you know, your schedule makes or breaks you, um, and and Arizona it has a brutal, brutal schedule. I mean, you look at starting, you know, having the non-con, you could go two and one, you know, Texas tech, I think is a tough game for this Arizona team. Um, And, you know, I know that, that, uh, you know, they've come on uh, recently, but then you look at that back half when you have to play, Let's see: Washington, Stanford, Oregon, and Arizona State in succession. I mean, that is uh, that that's a tough draw. I mean, you got to buy in the middle, so I guess that's good because you know we always have half the the team hurt. I feel like, but um, I I think it's going to be tough for Arizona to overcome based on the schedule. Not that that I don't think that there are going to be some key pieces that move in, especially at the wide receiver spot where you know they lost a lot um, you know from the last couple years. Um, but I think that there's there's uh, you know a reason for some moderate optimism as well. And, you know, again, you know, to to, uh, Rob's point, you know, if, if Marcel Yates can ever figure out how to coach a defense you know they could be they could be improved because you know the offense um you know hopefully Khalil Tate in his senior year will kind of move forward and, and develop as a quarterback and and come in and and if he doesn't then Grant Gunnell the the freshman that's highly touted may take his spot um and we'll see what the offense um you know uh comes out looking like and and see if there's some consistency there so i think it's i think you know if you look at this Arizona team it's kind of that that same thing that i think everybody says as the pack 12 season starts like what what are they going to be um you know and and you know they may be 6 and 6 um and and you know 500 and is that good enough to Get Arizona fans halfway interested, um, you know, in the program again. So I guess we'll see. But I think it's going to be a tough schedule this year, and I think that's really going to hold them back.
1: If Marcel Yates can coach a defense, if Donald Trump would only stop tweeting, you know, he would get in much less trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, I
0: mean, it is it is true too that I think Arizona fans. This is a tough schedule. This team might be better than even the team two years ago and have a worse record. Um, it's the, the, it's uphill sledding. Um, but I, 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 I think Arizona, this is a good year. Check the advanced stats, see where everybody shakes out. I know it's, it's way more fun going to bowl games, but, um, you know, this, this could be a season that's sort of under the radar.
1: Okay. Rick, Arizona has four road games next year, Boulder, Eugene, Corvallis, or Los Angeles to go watch Arizona play USC. Which game would you fly out to?
2: I'd uh, fly out to USC because I eventually want to retire there, and I need to start looking <laughs> at homes.
1: <laughs> well played, sir. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk. Uh, let's talk Los Angeles here, UCLA.
0: Yeah. So USC comes in at number twenty-three. Oh, I'm sorry, Bay, USC. Right? And there's there's a reason for that, and that's we'll get to that. Um, but USC uh, projects it uh, almost eight wins, seven point eight five expected wins. Um, they project right behind Utah in the Pac-12 South with uh, 5.79 conference wins. This USC team is interesting, um, maybe not in a good way, uh, but so they they rank 82nd in returning production, uh, but almost all of that returning production is on offense, where they're number 21 in returning production. So they return a lot uh, off of last year's offense. You can say that not all of that's good. Uh, I don't think that they have the depth that they would like at wide receiver, but their top five wide receivers are very good, very talented guys. Um, The question I think you have is they're at number 117 at returning production on defense. They lose dang near everybody off of that defense uh, last season. And so you kind of have a question of uh, they're, they're. projection on offense is built off of all that returning production and some of their recruiting rankings you have some turnover do you really trust the offense to live up to their projection and in the meantime i mean the defense i mean really has to 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 start a bunch of guys that haven't played before now that's not to say like they have a lot of talent and they they had some good freshman play last year on that defense that were super good but we'll see rob one one question I had for you
2: was um, with them basically going to an air raid approach and the personnel that they have coming back. I mean, they've, they've got, you know, a lot of returning offensive positional players, but do we think that that's going to translate in 2019?
0: Cause I'm still trying to figure that out. I think it can. Uh, I think what'll be interesting is uh, what, what uh, Kingsbury was, was, doing at Texas tech and, and he was doing it with worse personnel than say Lincoln Riley was uh, at Oklahoma was he was incorporating some of the power run, some of the counter uh, run that uh, really when you couple it with what they're able to do with the air, right, I think can work well. I think it'll be what, what they will be able to do at USC that you're not able to do at some smaller schools like Texas tech and other places and why they end up playing four wide receivers there instead of uh, a tight end is the, uh, Graham Harrell will have a tight end to work with here. Um, that does sort of open things up, allow them to do a little more power in the run game. Um, but Wolves, I don't I don't know. I, I, I think it can work. I, I think that I thought with Cliff Kingsbury it could work. I don't think Graham Harrell is as good of an offensive coordinator as Cliff Kingsbury by a long shot. I don't even think he was probably in the top five air raid guys that you, USC could have maybe got um, earlier you know, if they hadn't gone after Kingsbury. Um, but, you know, he's a, he's a pretty good, well, you know, well-regarded young guy. I think it, if he has growing pains, though, like this this could be tough early in the season for, for USC. Yeah.
1: It's interesting because uh, s and Plus has them at 29. So it's the returning production plus years and years of recruiting. I know this class wasn't as strong as the last one. But, yeah, I think this is by far the – I mean – I could see a scenario, Rob, where they finish like 60th
0: again, right? Yeah, absolutely. This USC team, this this is not... I mean, this is based on... There is waiting in here for um, how poorly they did last year. That is a part of the score. Uh, but if you recruit as well as USC does, you should not be this bad. And that's what the model is saying. Teams recruit, that recruit as well as USC does... I mean, even if what was a down year for them recruiting it was still a pretty good year recruiting. And last year's recruiting class, particularly on defense, was lights out. If if you recruit that well, you should win football games, and that's where USC is, and that's what I mean. Really, if you're a USC fan, that's what you have to hold Clay Helton accountable for. Um, I think after this season, if they're not able to really get it going, and this is this this was going to be the rebuild, you know, this is going to be a tough year for them with rebuilding that defense. So last year it was rebuilding the offense, this year it's rebuilding the defense. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if Clay Helton survives this. I think I think they've got a tough road to hoe, guys. Crazy stat of the
2: night: USC lost seven defensive backs from last year's roster. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I was doing I was doing some research earlier, and I was like, I my eyes practically popped out of my head when I saw that.
1: That's crazy, town. Um, yeah, I, I would also add though, like currently, yeah, I just mentioned that I can see a scenario where they finish like 60th. I could also see a scenario where they win nine games, and now the yeah. USC fan base has to struggle with all right, like. Is that enough? I don't think it is. I I would be unhappy as a USC fan. Um, And this goes back to the argument of USC shouldn't be comparing itself to the UCLA's and the, you know, um, OK organs of the world. They should be comparing themselves to the, you know, Notre Dame's, Ohio State's, Oklahoma's, maybe not Alabama because they're on a different plane. But like that's that's where USC needs to be. And that's where the conference conference needs them to be. Does that make sense, Rick?
2: Yeah, it absolutely does. But I think if you look and, and I, I know I bang on Dan Guerrero a lot, but um it's all who's their eighty? Uh, who's USC's eighty? Lince one, one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But if you look at at I think the overwhelming theme in the PAC 12 is how poorly these football programs have been managed from the top down. And if you look at the off season moves that Lynn Swan has made, um, just from a contractual standpoint, um, you know, with, with, uh, you know, the offense coordinator changes, I, 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 you know, you just have to wonder, um, and, and when it's going to get fixed, um, if you have some of these guys like, you know, a Dan Guerrero or a Lynn Swan still in power or heading up the, uh, you know, these, these uh, as the eighties of these major college football programs and is the pac 12 going to kind of be lost in space until you see some major changes happen from the top or occur from the top, um, where, you know, there's, they're, you know, kind of given the ability to kind of get back on track. And, and I think that's a serious concern. The pac 12 should have, um, you know, regarding, uh, you know, the direction that these football programs, especially the marquee football programs are taking at the moment.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, all right, Rick, back to you. It's uh, you got two minutes left. You're on your own 20 and you've got to drive for a touchdown to win the game. And the three quarterbacks you can pick from to carry that offense to victory are Steven Montez, Justin Herbert or Jake Luton. Who are you
2: taking? Oh, man. Let's go uh let's go Montez. Yeah I do like I do like yeah. my boy Montez. Yes. And then we'll finish off with the Oregon schools because that's what everybody loves.
1: <laughs> that's the right <laughs> friggin' answer. All right, let's talk some Colorado here.
0: The Red Baron himself. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Colorado comes in at number sixty one, uh, right ahead of Arizona. Um and this Colorado team again has a little bit of a tough schedule. They rank they come in with uh Five expected wins overall. Uh, so just shy of bowl eligibility. They come in with a, uh, just over three, 3.12 expected wins and last in the South um, with their projection right now. Uh, Colorado, I, I am excited for Mel Tucker uh, on defense. Um, so they uh, they they come in at number 42 in returning production overall. They're number 43 on offensive returning production. Uh, number 63 on defense. They um, It'll be, it's, it's interesting. I think when you look at the staff, I think the questions I have is that Mel Tucker seems to have hired a lot of folks that were quality control assistants at Georgia. Right,
2: right. Um,
0: yeah, <laughs> I, I guess I just, I would have expected maybe him to go out and hire some bigger names, um, particularly an offensive coordinator, uh, than they hired. I, I, I it feels like a bunch of, a bunch of guys that he got to know that he worked with at Georgia and, um, I would have expected a larger network of of of, uh, of hires from somebody that's been in the business as long as Tucker has been in the business.
1: Hey, guys, you seem cool. You should follow me to Boulder. Do you there. want
0: to do you want a title that says coach instead of quality control assistant? Mm-hmm. No, cool. <laughs> I, uh, I have a uh, we offer dental, too. So <laughs> come on down. I, I mean, it's not it's. It's it's just not what you when when guys land their first head coaching job they usually put together one of their best staffs um, because they have guys that they've kind of talked to over the years that say hey if I ever land a job you know would you be interested in coming to work for me um, you know guys that they've come up with that they're excited to working with it's just it's unusual to have them all sort of come from the same staff for a guy that's Kind of bounced, or I mean, Tucker's been on not just George's staff; he's been on other staffs as well. um, That he wasn't able to go out and get uh, folks that had uh, a little more diverse experience. Not that I mean, George's a terrific football program under Kirby Smart, and they have you know they definitely do have some very smart people working as quality control assistants. But uh, I would have I would have liked to have seen a few more folks pulled off that were. uh, actually on coaching staff <laughs> mm-hmm. and had the title of coach already.
1: Do you agree with that Rick? How, how bullish are you on Colorado?
2: You know, it's it's tough to read. I Rob, I kind of get the feeling it's it's one of those situations where like almost like Mel Tucker didn't do his homework in terms of getting ready to make that next jump and having, you know, that list of, you know, your primary, your backup, and then, but, you know, guys that you would go to to try and fill key positions when you kind of make that jump. I mean, it seemed, it seemed like some of those decisions um, to fill out his staff were um, I guess a little short and, you know, we could be wrong. I mean, you know, Kirby, smart could be the the genius that everybody thinks he is. Um, and you know, all of a sudden, you know, he's brought in some guys that are relatively inexperienced, but, um, you know, develop, I, I, I have a tough time kind of being bullish on the you know program where you're bringing in a lot of guys that don't have the experience um, or at least you know some solid core experience um, you know being in major position coaches um, or offensive defensive coordinators and and I think that that you're going to see that I don't think. On the, on the field, I think they'll struggle, but I think in recruiting, I, I think it's going to be kind of a, uh, you know, finding your way through the woods with a blindfold on period where, you know, they're going to have to figure out where their strength lies and, and what they want this program to look like under Mel Tucker. Um, I think that this year, when you kind of look at how the schedule shapes up, though, um, and you look at, the fact that Montez is still there, which it feels like it's been six, seven years now. And then you not only have Chenault coming back, you got his brother com- coming in. Um, I think they've got some good weapons on offense. Um, you know, I think defensively, uh, you know, they, they – there was some to be desired there, but I could see Colorado, you know, kind of being in the middle of the South again. Um, and, and, you know, surprising maybe, uh, you know, a a bigger team that, you know, has to come down and actually play them, um, down in Boulder. So I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of in a wait and see period. I I feel like the feeling that I get is a little bit, um, like the feeling I got from, uh, the ASU hired with Herm, um, just on, on the basis of, you don't really know what you're going to get. And you don't really know how to judge, this i think until you know you're a couple of years down the road and you see if it was a massive disaster um or if you know mel tucker actually turns out to be a halfway decent uh head coach so i guess we'll we'll find out pretty quickly
0: yeah and i i think tucker i mean when he was hired i thought hell yeah like he's and i i think this defense has upside with tucker yeah uh i agree but i i was really disappointed i thought the offensive coordinator hire was ugh, it was just so disappointing um you know that the, the he he coached at, at Minnesota, um, and he coached, and, and none of his offenses were particularly good. Um, and I, I think people are sort of overselling it using very conventional stats. None of his offenses were very graded out that he's ever coached. It graded out particularly well uh, either at Louisiana Lafayette or at Minnesota in advanced stats. And uh, Mel Tucker, I think, if he would have, been, if Colorado would have really invested some money. And Mel Tucker would have made a bigger hire. I think you could really get excited for this team next year because I think they could make a big jump on defense with Tucker, even you know with as little production as they bring back, um, and with everything they have back on offense with you know Chenault and Montez. Like he, I'd be excited, but I'm a little less excited now.
1: Right on. Well, let's move on, and I I can't reward Oregon State for. Winning like two games last year, so let's do them last. So let's go with Oregon. Um, And I think this is a really intriguing team. I'm curious to see what your numbers say, Rob.
0: So Oregon comes in at number 18 in uh, Beta Rank. So that's actually, (laughs) ooh, I know, number one, top team in the Pac-12. Oh man. Um, So they're two ahead of S&P, where S&P has them at 20, but they are at the FBI has Oregon at number 10, uh, which I also don't think is right, but. The FBI is part of the reason I started building my own model, because I thought it was so crazy. <laughs> um, when you look at Oregon, though, they have, a, they have a, a pretty manageable-ish schedule uh, for them. They do have Auburn this year uh, in non-conference. But Oregon is projected at uh, almost nine wins, 8.84 wins overall. Um, they are projected uh, at 5.89 wins uh, in conference, so tops in the Pac-12 North, just a little ahead of where we have Washington. Um, this Oregon team, they do lose. I mean, like we do kind of have to talk about them losing Jim Levitt. Um, and so they're. I believe they're promoting their safeties coach, uh, Hayward, uh, to be their new D.C. I don't think he has defensive coordinator experience. I'd have to go back and look, but um, that'll be an interesting one for them to break in. They rank 30 in returning production uh, this uh, coming into the season. Number 35 on offense, so that bodes well. Number 47 on defense. Uh, I, I, we all have, the, and we all have pretty much the same question actually on Oregon, uh, which is uh, one: what like who catches the ball with Dylan Mitchell gone? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, li- I like this. I, I like this Oregon team coming into this season. I wasn't surprised that Beta Rank thought thought well of them, but I do think that like last year when they when they projected high and then uh, kind of struggled uh, towards the end of the season, like they they've got some things to clean up coming into this year. Rick, what do you what do you think? Well, I, so I think
2: you, when you're looking at Oregon and there's a reason that everybody's got them kind of touted as the uh, top pick in the pac 12, I think it, it starts out with them returning 17 starters. You got Justin Herbert coming back who you would hope make, would make a leap. I think, you know, in that Arizona game last year, I think that was a uh, kind of a good reflection of the 2019 season or 2018 season, excuse me, um, both good and bad. And, and, you know, that game really proved that he wasn't ready for the NFL and, and and, you know, I'm interested to see if he's going to make that jump that Oregon needs him to make. And he, they're going to find out real quick that Auburn game coming up first. And again, that's kind of another prove it game, um, you know, for the Pac-12 uh, to, to kind of kick the season off. Um, Troy Dye comes back as well, who, you know, is arguably their best defensive player. Um, and I, they've got a, you know, a lot of talent coming back. So I think that 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 works in their favor. Um, I think what what you kind of what you're concerned about is just, you know, they've, they've recruited um, an amazing class coming in. Um, They've kind of backfilled last year with a, a very good class. Um, And they've got a ton of talent on this roster um, in, in a really, really quick period of time. So, you know, how are they going to utilize that talent? Is that talent going to reach its full potential? Um, And, and are they going to kind of show out underneath Mario Cristobal? Um, I do think the Levitt uh, situation is a, a a bigger issue than it's been made out to be since you and I live up here in Portland. You know, I, I get a lot of the sports talk um, and, and I, I don't know what occurred there, but to have a guy that you're basically bringing up from within um, underneath Levitt for two years, um, I kind of feel like that there's going to be a big feeling out process and it's going to, uh, you know, be a sink or swim type of season. um, You know, when, when uh, the time comes uh, to, to kind of see how they play against Auburn and then, uh, you know, some of those teams, from the uh, you know Pac-12 North later down the road. So anyways, I I, I, I am very excited to see how Oregon plays this year. And, and I think they've got a ton of talent that could end up taking them t- to a very, very nice spot at the end of the year. Um, but I think there's still some uncertainty um, in a lot of areas, especially with the coaching.
1: Yeah, S P Plus has Oregon at 20, so very close to 18. A couple issues on my end, I was not impressed with the coaching staff this past year. I really... I love Jim Levitt, I'm a big fan of Jim Levitt. Um, that that defense just didn't come together the way that I thought it was going to and now he's gone and they're if they're really boosting somebody that doesn't have defensive coordinator experience like that super worries me. <laughs> In the fact that Levitt couldn't get that defense together, now they get this. Uh, now they have somebody that has less experience and less of a, a football mind. Um, and that's an assumption, but I think that's a pretty safe assumption given what Levitt has been able to do in the past. The other thing, Robbie, you mentioned who are they throwing it to? So Jawan Johnson is a Penn State transfer that yep. just committed to Oregon. So um, he was a possible top, well, he was floated as a top 10 draft pick in 2019, but had a pretty bad uh, season given his hype. So he caught for 25 catches for 352 yards and a touchdown and had some drops. So uh, they will have that big prototypical, uh, wide receiver, which is good. They're going to need it, but I just, they're going to have to prove it. I'm going to definitely take a look at the under in terms of the season win totals. And what, what did, what did beta Rank have for the season? win total, uh, eight
0: point. I just 8.84. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, in this uh, as Mike Leach himself, when he critiques, because uh, people tend to fall in love with quarterbacks measurables. I mean, like physical measurables. Um, but as Mike Leach said, like, you can't you can't teach accuracy. Like It's just not something you can really fix. Um, and, and Herbert has. Herbert has a little bit of an accuracy, like not a huge accuracy problem, but he's got a little bit of an accuracy problem.
1: Yeah. Maybe not one enough to be able to lift a team in this offense, to the Pac-12 like North Title. I, I think that's that could be a fair assessment. I would love to be proven wrong. I would love to have the Pac-Twelve have like a Heisman type of candidate up there in Eugene, but uh, we shall see. Um let's move to Oregon State, Rob, and then let's wrap Woo-hoo! it up here. Yeah, <laughs> we made it.
0: <laughs> uh Oregon State comes in at 107 uh in Beta rank. Uh that's versus 105 in S P plus. Mm-hmm. But uh 83 uh, weirdly in FPI.
1: Wow. Um, wow! We should just uh, do FPI to make it, to make everything look really just awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just, 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 like, we've decided that UCLA is a top 25 team too. Um, Oregon state projects at 2.65 wins, which is actually an improvement off of where they projected last year. Uh, and they project at just over one win in conference play. Uh, so 1.06. Uh, Oregon State is, uh, so they are definitely held down by the fact that their defense was among the very worst in college football last season. Um, so they rank number, they do rank number 23 in returning production, um, but only number 71 on offense and returning production. So that offense actually ended up being better than we expected last season with Jonathan Smith, who I think is a phenomenal play caller and may work out overall as a head coach. Uh, for the Beavers, but he's going to have his hands full this next season because they they do lose some folks. Oregon State ranks number three in returning production on defense, um, but again, they were they ranked one twenty nine out of one thirty on defense last season. So, you bring in a lot of guys back, none of them were any good. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But they do bring back Jake Luton. Which is great. Yes. So
1: I always love watching. But well, they Whedon. have
0: they have Taylor. I mean, does does Gebbia start the Nebraska transfer? There Shut your dirty start. mouth.
1: Does he start? Jake Luton is going to sling the ball around. I don't everywhere. know. I mean, everybody's
0: <laughs> already penciling Gebbia in, so we'll see. I, I I mean, I would hate to see the Jake Luton experience cut short.
1: Yeah. 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 Right on. Um. Unless unless Rick, you have anything super profound about Oregon State. Football,
0: no, nothing
2: super <laughs> profound.
1: I don't either. Uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, we were going to talk. So we can talk about the Pac-12 stuff, uh, Pac-12 Network information, a little bit later, maybe in a different podcast because we are already on an hour and twenty minutes. So, everybody, thank you for tuning in. This is Twelve back Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at one two p a c radio. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast for free on Google tune in Radio. Apple Podcasts, you name it, we are there. A big shout to the Overtime Podcast Network. Thank you for having us. We are excited to be here. And guys, we will catch you next week.